This is More Than Therapy Podcast. More Than Therapy. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy Podcast. Hello, welcome to another issue, another episode of Modern Therapy. Today, my special guest is Neil McKinley, who's going to talk to us today about betrayal, recovery, and meditation. When we talk about, we're going to talk about meditation, that's something I know a lot about. I find that the focus of meditation is not really a new concept, but becoming more relatively known, and it's very helpful regarding wellness and recovery. I tell my clients daily, weekly, focus on what you want your day to be. Meditate on what you want your day to be and that day will manifest. If you tell yourself today's gonna be a shitty day, more than likely it's going to be a shitty day because your mind moves you in that direction. Your mental, your feelings, your behaviors move you in that direction. If you say it's going to be a great day and I'm going to accomplish so much, boom, your mind floats you over into that direction. Meditation and focus. Betrayal. Well, you know, I too have experienced betrayal and it definitely pushed me into directions in which I may not necessarily want it to go and eventually pushed me into directions I wanted to go. <clears throat> Once I figured out the, the key was the meditation, you know what I'm saying? You, you Focusing on where I wanted my life to be, meditating and focusing on where I wanted my life to be. And it, through all that, I'm a walking vessel of recovery. Every day is a journey in recovery. There will never be a day on which I stop recovering because it's an ongoing journey. But Neil, Neil, please tell us. Tell us about yourself, sir. Well, thank you very much for uh, having me here. It's a pleasure to uh, be here with you and all your listeners. Um, you know, I am a meditation teacher. I'm a meditation mentor. Um, I work largely with people who feel or have a sense that somehow their everyday life is an inseparable part of their spiritual journey. And so I offer an accessible and relevant grounding in the teachings and practices of meditation um, so that all of us can do at least two things. We can connect with the deep store of stillness and ease and wisdom that waits within, and we can feel hopefully encouraged and empowered to let that knowing, to let that wisdom begin to guide and shape our lives. Bringing meditation to life is a phrase that I use to describe this, you know, so I and the communities that I'm part of educate and encourage and empower so that we can all bring meditation to life. That would be a brief summation of the work that I do. Neil, what made you want to become a person that focuses on meditation being your practice, being your life mission? What occurred for that? Or what made you say, ding, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. You know, I think there were a number of, of steps in that direction. I learned to meditate when I was uh, relatively young. I learned to meditate as a teenager. I was a competitive swimmer, and one of the swim coaches taught us how to meditate. And I just found it a compelling practice. I can't tell you why, but I found it compelling, and I stayed with it. And then somewhere around 30 years ago, I began giving my engagement with the practice um, a little bit more form. 
I studied and practiced in a succession of two communities, both of which were rooted in um, Tibetan Buddhism. I had opportunities to engage uh, formal curriculum, to do long retreats. And in 2005, I started to teach because I felt like there was something here. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there was something here that I wanted to share. So now fast forward a few years, you know, fast forward to about two, 2016. And my relationship with the second community that I had was part of uh, started to fray. I started to feel uncomfortable with the way that the leader was treating his close students. And then in 2018, when I became uh, part of a, a very small circle of senior students um, that were working with him, my discomfort intensified. Um, it became apparent that in spite of what I believed, in spite of what I had been told, in spite of what I told others as a leader in this community, what was driving that situation was not the teachings and the practices of meditation, not the well-being and development of the students, um, but the whims and the impulses of that teacher and the, the extent that he, he was willing to go to assert these whims and impulses was appalling. It was an environment characterized by um, manipulation, by disempowerment, by disrespect. And through all 2019, I struggled. I struggled through all of 2019 with the dissonance between what I thought was going on and what was, you know, what was that, what I now saw and felt and knew was going on. And I struggled with the agony of having my own inner integrity, my own inner sense of what was actually happening undermined over and over and over and over again. I struggled. And at a certain point, my mental and physical well-being was was so highly compromised uh, that I just had to leave. I couldn't take it anymore. And which is what I did in 2020. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, bringing, that's a, a bit of history that brought me up to the precipice of why I do what I do is I went through this experience of, we used the word betrayal earlier, and uh, it brought me up to a precipice which had started, a, opened up a path, which is, you know, what, what I'm on now and what I'm offering now. How did meditation play a role in this story? Like, what did meditation yeah. bring you? Well, you know, there was tremendous relief. Christopher, there was tremendous relief at leaving this situation. It, it was it had just become so unsustainable that my whole system was just like, oh, but the sense of loss was utterly overwhelming. I mean, I'd been part of this situation for 20 years. I lost a community. I lost a path. I lost peers. I lost livelihood. I lost trust, confidence, direction. And I had no idea what to do with this. No idea what to do. And so I walked a lot. And I stared out the window a lot and I laid on the floor a lot and I meditated a lot. And just as, you know, back in the beginning days of learning to meditate as a teen, I can't tell you really why I stepped toward meditation in this situation, but I did. It was a simpler, a less expectant, expectant a more open-ended approach than I'd engaged before. But every day I turned my attention, I settled in, and I received what was waiting to show itself. 
Now, anyone who's familiar with Buddhist meditation would say this isn't surprising because I've just given a very traditional description of meditation. Meditation consisting of two phases, a phase in which we turn our attention and we settle into, and two, a phase in which we receive, in which we witness what the practice, what our bodies, what our lives want to show us. What surprised me about this, though, was threefold. One is what I found myself turning my attention toward was not the breath. And, you know, that's a very standard approach to meditation. Turn your attention toward the breath. Turn your attention toward your breath. Turn your attention toward your breath. I was trying to turn my attention toward my breath. But all I found was that sense of lostness that I spoke to a few moments ago. And this is what I found myself settling into, not getting rid of the sense of lostness, not changing the sense of lostness, but actually settling into that experience. That was the first surprise. The second surprise is that what I was shown, what I was revealed, what was revealed when I settled in like this, what I received or what I witnessed, often spoke directly to what was going on in my life in that moment, that sense of lostness. There was a direct link and then the third thing that shocked me, the third thing that surprised me was that all of this suggested that maybe meditation actually has a third phase, one in which we let the revelations that arise out of the practice, out of the settling, the insights that come out of our settling into, guide us into the world. And this is what I started to do because I didn't know what else to do. I was so lost. I didn't know what else to do. And so I started to follow the guidance, the direction that arose out of my meditation practice. And so if what arose out of meditation practice suggested that, well, maybe I should rest, I would rest. If what came out was a sense of needing to reach out to someone and talk, I reached out and talked. If what came up was a sense of feeling stuck and needing more assistance, needing some trauma therapy, which I did a fair bit of, I reached out for trauma therapy. And much to my surprise, through this process, this kind of threefold process, I guess you could say, I found myself moving through my sense of lostness and my sense of grief, not getting over because I still have some really rough days. This, all this only happened a couple of years ago. Not getting over, but slowly finding my way through. And in the process, finding a sense of direction, a sense of purpose in my life that I hadn't had before. And healing that relationship with the, my inner knowing, my own inner knowing, my own inner intelligence, my own inner integrity, that as I said a few moments ago, had become so highly compromised in that uh, former situation. Indeed, indeed. Is meditation the only resource you are drawn from in your recovery process? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, because if I, th I think if I learned, one of the things I've learned from this process isn't that meditation can heal all that needs healed in my life, but that meditation can help reveal the path of healing that is appropriate to my life. And so certainly I think meditation was uh, played a huge role, offered a, a huge healing role in my recovery from um, uh, 
the betrayal of this community situation, this teacher situation that I described. Um, it also, in and of itself, you know, just that sense of settling in to how I was doing and seeing how I was doing, you know, seeing what was going on for me in more and more clearly, seeing what had happened to me more and more clearly. Meditation was instrumental in that regard. It was also instrumental, though, in, in the way that it revealed when I needed something more. When, okay, meditation is your main practice, I get that, but today you need to go for a walk. Meditation is your main practice, I get that, but today you need to talk to a friend. Meditation is your main practice, sure. And right now, a few sessions of trauma therapy would actually be really, really helpful. So there were a number of different modalities, actions, engagements that uh, I undertook, I've been undertaking in this process of um, recovery. And what they share in common is they were all revealed or their appropriateness was pointed to during the meditation process, during the process of you know settling in and then receiving whatever my life wanted and needed to present to me. You were betrayed. You were hurt. How'd yeah. you come? Did you, were you able to forgive? And what did it take to forgive in order to move on hmm. be the best you you can be by letting go? It's a really interesting question. And, um, I think forgiveness has uh, been has come relatively recent, only relatively recent. Um, as I said, I left the community in February of 2020, so that's you know slightly less than two and a half years ago. And there was certainly a lot of lostness, as I said, a lot of depression, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame, a lot of revelation about how bad the situation actually was in terms of um, manipulation, disempowerment, and disrespect. And then um, forgiveness, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I hadn't thought of it in these terms. But um, just a couple of days ago, I was actually looking through my Facebook feed and uh, uh, there was uh, a picture of my former teacher with his daughter. I guess the daughter had posted this, a picture of the two of them together on Father's Day. And uh, what happened in that moment is, is just a connection with, you know, maybe this person is a good father, a caring father, loves his daughter. Um, that there's more to this individual, in other words, than... Um, just what I went through in the last several years of, of being there, the last four years of being part of that situation. And seeing that and feeling that and opening up in that way, I think has brought a measure of forgiveness into the situation. And um, there has been a lot of healing and liberation for myself in that act. So, yeah, I think that that, that would be the moment of forgiveness um, I think, and again, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I hadn't seen it as such until you asked. And the moment you asked, it was like, oh yeah, that, that's what was going on right there. Indeed. Forgiveness ain't about, you know, it's not for the other person, it's for yourself. But with forgiving, you're able to let go and grow. Yeah. That's what I, I learned by forgiving some very, very significant traumas to myself, my mind, my body. And like you, 
my soul. Yeah, and it, it's very interesting. Again, your wording is just so resonant and so appreciated. Um, it, my soul feels lighter. Uh, so Father's Day was last weekend, I guess. You know, my soul feels lighter today than it did uh, 10 days ago. It feels like a cloud has has parted and something else has had an opportunity to come through. And I think that, uh, you know, that gesture of forgiveness is uh, a huge part of that. Right, because when we are let go, then that's a part of our soul, a part of our mind that can pursue other things or grow towards other things. Yeah, yes. Literally, it feels like there's more possibility. There's more, uh, it's almost like my visual field has opened up. And instead of seeing, you know, just a small range of what's directly in head, ahead of me, there is a much more peripheral vision, much more possibility, much more of a world out there than uh, there had been. And appropriately so. I think that that narrowing is a really important part of the process, narrowing in and actually seeing clearly, okay, this is what happened to me. And then an opening up uh, so that there's more possibility, more life, more air to breathe, mm -hmm. more sky to see, more earth to stand on. What would you like others to gain from your experience? Hmm. You know, maybe a sense that um, we're more resilient and more resourced than we know. That there is an inner resilience and an inner resourcefulness. I've been talking about them in terms of stillness, ease, wisdom. There is an inner resilience and an inner wisdom that uh, is there for us at all times. Good days and bad, happy and sad. Um, when we like the way we're dressed and when we don't like the way we're dressed, good hair days, bad hair days, um, there's an inner resourcefulness um, that's there, like a, an inner well for us to tap into. And that um, meditation can play a role in tapping into that. It's, I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination, it's the only um modality that can help us in this way, but it is one modality can, that can help us in this way. And it's had a huge impact on, uh, on my life in general and this process that we're describing more specifically. So I think that's what one thing, I think that's two things. One is that uh, we are resourced in far deeper and far, far vaster ways than we typically imagine. And two, um, that meditation can help us tap into that well of resourcefulness. Indeed, indeed. <clears throat> How do you introduce people, let's say, to come into your your agency, your arena, your your world? We just say world because I don't know yeah. how to describe it. <laughs> How do you introduce them to the concept of utilization of meditation? I mean. Tell me, can you tell me if it, unless that's like like your your day one, and you say, well, if I tell you that, I hope you owe me one hundred and fifty dollars. If it's going to cost you, <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do that to me, then let's not do it. No, let's not cut into your income by giving away that particular nugget. But uh, it's important for me to have, understand. Like, I'll give you an example. When I I got back into therapy for myself, I'm a, a war veteran, and I was having um 
a reoccurrence of my PTSD symptoms. So I went back into therapy and it was like, oh, you're gonna go to med, you're gonna do mindfulness therapy, meditation therapy in order for you to resolve that stuff. I said, oh, that's not what I need right now, but okay. And then it was just like, boom, just popped me into it. And you know, even as a therapist, I do mindfulness and DBT classes and DBT therapy. So I know what it is, but I just didn't think it was right for me. And I don't think the clinician who was working with me made it palatable for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, key is uh, that it needs to be right for the person who's who's coming in. And so one thing, the first thing I'll say is that um, I only do, I only offer services to people who come to me for service services, meditation services, teaching of meditation. That may sound obvious, but I have done in the past a number of like professional development settings where the whole office, like you described, bloop, gets dropped down into the meditation practice um, session. And it's never gone well because people need to step in of their own volition and say, yeah, I, I'm going to try this. I want to give this a shot. And then the second thing, you know, that really guides me in introducing meditation is trying to find ways that it's relevant to the people that I'm working with, trying to find ways that it resonates for the people that I'm working with. There are all kinds of languages and frameworks out there that we can use to describe meditation. You know, people use the language of Buddhism. People use the language of science. People use the language of mindfulness. People use um, all sorts of languages to describe meditation. And what I try to use is a very everyday language so that it's something that we can all very easily relate to. So I might just say, okay, let's, you know, come in, sit down, Let's just sit in our chair. And that's a big one. Just people realizing that they don't have to be down on the floor in order to meditate. Just sit in the chair and let your back, your spine gently lengthen and let your gaze lower just a little bit. And for just a moment, let's take your attention. You know, that attention that's always wandering all over the place. What's for dinner? Who's gonna clean the dishes? How am I gonna get this work task done? Take that attention and gently guide it toward your breathing. Whatever that means for you, however you find your breathing, just take your attention and turn it towards your breathing. We're all breathing, so it's there for all of us, and just let your attention rest there for a moment. And when your attention wanders, that's fine. It's going to wander. What's for dinner? Who's doing the dishes? How am I gonna get this work task done? Just bring it back and let your attention rest for a moment. So that's the starting point really, is making it accessible and relevant to people. And as I said, for me, I find what's most helpful in that regard is to just use everyday language, to use plain language to guide individuals, guide people through uh, the meditation practice and an understanding of what the meditate, you know, what meditative framework, meditative perspectives look like. It's a great, <clears throat> a great breakdown. It made me want to be like, hey, maybe I should give meditation another chance. No. <laughs> or maybe the guy who was doing the mindfulness meditation classes for my PTSD group 
Maybe he should have consultations with you. <laughs> well, PTSD is an interesting, it, it's an interesting issue. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I often get the question, get asked the question, do you, do, do you, do I, do I feel like everyone should meditate? And, you know, honestly, I used to say yes, and I don't say that anymore. And I think that this fact is reflective in my own experience that we were talking about a few minutes ago, my own recent history. Um, there are some times when the conditions of our lives and the condition of, let's say, our nervous systems are such that meditation is just not the best fit. And it sounds like you had a sense of intelligence about that, a sense of intuition about that. There's sometimes when meditation is just not the best tool in the toolkit for what's going on for us right now. And I think um, high level trauma like PTSD is a great example of that. Can meditation help with PTSD? Yes. Is meditation always the most appropriate tool? Absolutely not. You know, you really have to pay attention to um, what our state of being is. And so, you know, a very brief, rough guideline is if you sit down to meditate and you're activated and you're triggered and you find that you can't bring your attention anywhere near the breath, because things are firing off and your system is activating and there's triggers going off left, right, and center. That's a pretty strong signal that, okay, meditation is not appropriate in this context. In this context, maybe EMDR would be a better approach. And then six months ago, down the road, let's revisit meditation and see if it has something to offer. So can meditation help with the resolution of trauma? Absolutely. Is it always the best tool? not on your life. And so we really need to pay attention to what our experience is and adapt accordingly, act accordingly, skillfully, act skillfully. Indeed. A quote that's, you know, you're famous for. <laughs> is, um, <laughs> we are resourced to make our way through life. I'll say it again. We are resourced to make our way through life. Please tell us more about that. Well, this is really the shock to me. Um, three years ago, I'm not sure how I would feel about that quotation. Um, today, I say with a sense of awe, yes, we are resourced. We have uh, the sense of inner intelligence, inner wisdom, inner knowing that can that gives us a very clear sense of what's going on for us and a very clear sense of what the appropriate next step might be. And by developing a relationship with uh, this, you know, meditation is a way of developing a relationship with this. And by developing a relationship with this, it allows us to begin to live our lives more aligned in a way that's more aligned with that inner resourcefulness, more aligned with that inner intelligence, more aligned with that inner integrity. And one of the advantages of this is it kind of takes us off the hook of trying to feel like we need to figure everything out and make everything happen. We can relax a little bit and we can trust a little bit more. And we can allow the, the, the clarity and the sensitivity and the responsiveness that is innate in us. In the meditative tradition, in the Buddhist tradition, it's called Buddha nature. 
It's also referred to as our basic nature. And I love the phrase basic nature because it means it's basic. It's there no matter what. And as I said a few moments ago, on good days and bad days, you know, I like my hair. I don't like my hair. Um, my stomach's a little sore. I feel perfectly healthy today. Whatever is going on for us, this resourcefulness is basic to us. And what we need to do as human beings is find ways to access it and find ways to deepen and develop our develop and deepen our relationship with this. And again, um, I think there are myriad ways that this might be done. For me, meditation has been a, a central a central ally in that regard for, you know, 30 plus years now. And really that sense that we are resourced um, has, has become such a strong sense for me these last three years, because I cannot believe that I am finding my way through what I've been through. All right, all right, all right. Some questions. All right, all right. <laughs> so questions from the peanut factory. And they, for some reason, they're texting me instead of putting it on the comment board. But anyways, um, Robin Palmer asks, what are you most proud of in your past? Hmm. That's a great question, Robin. You put me right on the spot. You know, um, Robin, you, uh, you actually got me moved to tears here. Um, one of the weights that I carry from what I went through is that I was a leader in that community. And so I guided, I can't count how many uh, people deeper into that situation. And a lot of people benefited from that. I have no doubt. And I also have no doubt that um, many people were harmed like I was harmed. Um, and as I said, that's a weight I'll, I will carry for probably the rest of my life. But one of the things I'm proud of is when it became apparent to me that the situation was just not okay, um, I actually started to speak out. I started to um, host Zoom meetings. I started to do um, write, written updates for people, just saying, here's what I'm seeing and here's what I'm going through. And this went on for, I don't know, probably about two years. And it culminated with me in November of 2021, I guess, last November. It culminated with me in November of 2021, making a very clear statement about um, what I thought my former community was and what I thought my former teacher was up to with regard to manipulation, disempowerment, and uh, disrespect. And then in March of this year, I hosted what we've been calling a ceremony of loss, which allowed all the people who have been harmed and all the people who have lost so much because of this situation to come together and actually give voice to what we'd gone through, what we'd lost, and what we'd found out of this experience. And um, as much as I hold uh, grief and heartache over having been a leader in that situation and uh, guided people into something that in retrospect is quite harmful, has been quite harmful for me, 
Um, I'm incredibly proud and grateful. I have such gratitude that I was able to facilitate those Zoom meetings, those updates, that personal and professional statement, and then that ceremony of loss for people. It really felt like something changed um, when we did the ceremony of loss together. It was about an hour and a half process. Um, it was very intense and it felt really beautiful. It felt like we talked about this a minute, a few minutes ago, it felt like some clouds separated. So I, I feel very proud about that. Appropriately proud, I think. Indeed, indeed. So thank, thank you, you for sharing. asking. Yes, thank you, Robin. Why is self-growth important and growing? Self-growth. <laughs> That's an odd question, Aquanda. But anyways, a question from Aquanda Green. Why is self-growth important? Oh, I wait, love I, I read that. it wrong. I, I read it wrong. I'm sorry. Why is self-growth important to you? Yeah. Why is growing so important? I love that question. You know, <laughs> so thank you, Aquanda, for asking that question. Um so what is growth? I mean, this is one of the things I do. I, I like, okay, what are we talking about growth? What I'm talking about growth is, is literally growth. So my awareness is like this, right? And when I grow, my awareness or my sense of awareness, my sense of my awareness grows. It actually gets bigger. This is one of the things that happens through meditation practice. Our awareness, our sense of awareness grows. Our awareness doesn't grow. Our sense of our awareness grows. And when that awareness grows, what happens? I mean, this sounds like kindergarten stuff, but we actually become more aware. Okay. And what do we become aware of? We become aware of whatever we become aware of. And this is where it's really important to me. Because what I become more aware of is, for instance, the fact that I'm in a crappy mood this afternoon, and I just want to take it out on my family. And the fact that I can be aware of that and that I can see that and then hold that. Okay, I'm in a crappy mood and I just want to snap at you and I want to snap at you. But you know what? I'm not going to snap because I know that it's not about you. I know it's about me. I'm just going to rest to the best of my capacity in my crappy mood without, to the best of my capacity, taking out on those around me, the people I care about and love in my immediate environment. That to me is a, a huge act. That to me is a revolutionary act that has ripples throughout our family, has ripples throughout our community, has ripples throughout the whole world. And that kind of um, low key on the ground in our lives um, kind of outcome of let's call it growth work, keep it really broad, of growth work is what keeps me doing it. It's what it's why it's important to me. Indeed, indeed. Jaquila Walker asks, growing requires humility. What do you do to stay humble? I'm uh, a partner and a parent. And uh, that does a lot, believe me. Um, also the experience that I've been through, um, has been a very humbling one. It's humbling. Humble has its root in, uh, the word hummus, which means of the earth and, um, both family life and what I've been through recently have really brought me down to the ground. Meditation practice does that too, in that, um, even after all these years, I'm not very good at it. And uh, so, you know, it's hard for me to bring my attention back to the breath. 
um, which means it's hard for me to build myself up as being very good at meditation. So um, I feel very humbled by, you know, the challenges of, of family life. I feel humbled by, um, you know, what I went through with this, you know, my community history that I've mentioned. And I feel constantly humbled by um, meditation practice. My son, a pharmacist in Warner Robins, Georgia, he asked, what do you need to address in your past in order to have a better future? And that's from Corey Ravenel Blue. What do you hmm. need to address in your past in order to have a better future? Hmm. A lack of appropriate confidence. A lack of appropriate confidence, I think. I think it was one of the threads that ro uh, ran through. It's probably one of the reasons, you know, I ended up staying in the situation that I was in for 20 years is a lack of appropriate confidence in my sense that something wasn't quite right here. So a lack of appropriate confidence. And curiously, doing things like, um, you know, sitting down with all of you and talking about my experience and how it's, you know, affecting my daily life and my work is an act of um, recovering that confidence. So thank you. Thank you, Corey. Long, long, long time fan of the show because I raised it mm. to be that way. <laughs> what would you like to accomplish in the next year? Hmm. What is 2020? The rest, you know, on six days, we'll be at the halfway mark of 2022, right? Really? Yeah, six, July first. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah, I've been alive a great long time, and I've never thought of it in those words in that way. Right, so. right, right, right. What, what what would you like to accomplish in the next year? You know, I'd really like to meet, reach more people with um, this perspective on meditation practice that, uh, I haven't explicitly pointed to, but we have been pointing to implicitly throughout this whole conversation, this sense that meditation is really all about our lives. It's about resting in the stuff of our lives, receiving the insight that is inherent in the stuff of our lives and letting this insight guide us through or into our lives. Um, bringing meditation to life is the phrase I often use to describe this. I would like to reach more people with this um, understanding and perspective of meditation practice, that meditation practice is not some sort of um, esoteric other, that it's actually really about our lives. And it's actually not something that we leave in the shrine room or on the cushion or on the bench. It's something that we allow, let flow throughout the stuff of our everyday lives. That would be mm. my aspiration for the remaining six months of the year. All right, that's, that's quite impressive. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what would someone read to create a better habits or better disciplines? What what books do, are you recommending for someone to read as it pertains to your ideology, your mantra? Hmm. 
You can even point to your blog. Why don't you tell them about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have um, on my website, neilmckinley.com. I have a blog, as Christopher was just saying. I have a blog and a, a podcast, both of which are pointing towards, you know, how we can, how meditation and everyday life overlap. I mean, my my podcast is called Bringing Meditation to Life. And so, you know, both of them share this interest in seeing you know, these two solitudes, sometimes meditation and life are treated as two solitudes, seeing these two solitudes come together more fully and influence and affect one another. Um, you know, beyond this, uh, I've been deeply affected by a Christian writer by the name of uh, Kathleen Norris and um, her writings about doing just this, about allowing her faith and her practices and the teachings of uh, her tradition to come into the stuff of her everyday life. And, you know, curiously, I've been um, affected as well by a uh, singer-songwriter in Kentucky named Joan Shelley, who is very articulate in describing how her place in this world, in this life, is the ground from which she allows her art to be created. And um, I don't know what exactly that means, but I feel it in her music and that affects me and it inspires me. And so those would be a couple things that I would, a few things that I would point to. Indeed, indeed. Well, you've been gracious enough to talk to us about a lot of issues as it focuses on betrayal, meditation, and the path to recovery. Another famous quote that you have is be kind to be kind to and patient with ourselves. Something I find that many of my clients and even, and even looking at myself in the mirror, which I often do in therapy to do as I'm telling you this client, I'm actually talking to myself as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, um, be kind to and patient with ourselves. I think that's very important, but yeah. I also think it's very hard because we live in a microwave, <laughs> a microwave society in yeah. which we want quick fixes. And, you know, meditation is not a quick fix. Um, a, a strategy or an action plan may not be a quick fix. But we yeah. know that with meditation, the brain can change. And with the changed brain comes a lasting change. Yes. Yeah, yes. And I think what you pointed to, you, I've never heard that phrase, a microwave society, but obviously I know exactly what you're speaking to. It, it is, you know, I think it is really, really important to acknowledge that that is the air that we breathe these days. And to consciously, part of kindness, I think, is consciously trying to slow things down for ourselves. And first and foremost, would slow down our expectations for ourselves. You know, we're not going to be different people on Monday than we were on Friday, necessarily. There's a Buddhist teacher by the name of Pema Chodron, and she'll sometimes say, you know, try to stay with your breath for one-tenth of a second. And I love how gentle and low bar that is for us, how patient and kind that is, because that's a toehold. That's a start point for us. You know, I want to be able to be with the breath for an hour straight, you know, from the moment I begin to meditate. But, you know, she's pointing in this direction, which I think is so helpful, is slow down, lower the expectations, be kind, be patient 
understand that we live in a cultural context that insists, as you said, on quick fixes and rapid results, and that that's not necessarily the way it works. And let that be okay. And let's support one another in that being okay. And encourage one another in that being okay. And empower one another in that being okay. Kindness and patience. Yes, please. Indeed, indeed. There's a number of ways for people to get in contact with you on the internet. Please tell people about your ways to contact you and you know find out more about your mantra, your mission, and your focus in making this world a better place. Hmm. You and me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to sing at least once. <laughs> Um, so you can find me in all the usual places, you know, Facebook, Insta Instagram, Insight Timer. My podcast is on all the usual outlets. But, you know, this, this undertaking of bringing meditation to life, of resting in the stuff of our lives, receiving insight from the stuff of our lives, letting this insight guide us into and through our lives, this undertaking of bringing meditation to life because it's so broad and it's so varied for all of us, for each of us. Um, you know, there's a lot on offer out there. You know, I've got guided meditations. I've got a free to join living meditation network. I've got mini retreats, one hour practices. Um, there's a subscription based online uh, gatherings, which is kind of a uh, a deep, slow Dharma dive into the teachings and practices of meditation into bringing this to our life. But because there's so much out there, I'd really uh, encourage people to check out my uh, website, which is neilmckinley.com with an L-A-Y, as you can see from the screen. And just take a look around. And if you're so inspired, uh, sign on to my newsletter. And, you know, once a month, twice a month, I send out... Um, teachings and updates and new offerings. So you'll get a sense of what's actually available through that. And you'll also receive this email in your inbox basket, you know, once or twice a month. And I used to run into people uh, quite a lot and they'd say, oh, I love your newsletter. I really appreciate it. And I said, oh, did you read my blog? Well, I actually never opened your email, your newsletter. And I said, well, really, why do you love it? I said, because it shows up and I see it and I'm reminded, oh yeah, meditation. Maybe I'll look into that this month. And I used to kind of be frustrated by that. It's like, oh, your newsletter's a lot of work. Take a look. But now I consider that a win. For a few moments, the email shows up and people think, maybe meditation this month. That's a great outcome as far as I'm concerned. And it seems to help people. People say to me, as I said, that they appreciate this. And if that's helpful, that's great in my books. So yeah, the website, neilmckinley.com. And then if you're so inclined, um, signing up for the newsletter and kind of being exposed over time to what's being offered and what's new and what your opportunities are, as well as special offerings, offers and teachings and all that kind of thing. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you, Mr. Neil McKinley. In regards to talk to us about betrayal between recovery, about recovery and meditation, sharing your story with us, which I know at times was heart-wrenching and painful, but thank you for being open with us and sharing your genuineness. And um, I look forward to, you know, so I'm actually on your website right now, 
and I'm about to um, share screen. I'm about to um, join this particular thing right here and put my little email in here <laughs> and join this newsletter. And I would read it because I love to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, thank you for having me here. This has been a really delightful hour and uh, it's been great to interact with uh, your listeners as well. Like that was really a treat. I really appreciated that. And so thanks for, uh, uh, all the questions that were asked, and uh, thanks for listening. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, sir. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Mortar Therapy Podcast featuring hit shows such as, well, the Mortar Therapy Podcast. <clears throat> <laughs> Available to wherever you push play to listen to your favorite podcasts. Be well, be great.